the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf of Detroit, on the check. Hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Grinch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Grinch with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw the bucks on her face, because that's Big Grinch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Grinch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grinch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grinch. Throw the bucks on her face, because that's Big Grinch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Grinch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grinch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grinch. Big Grinch. Baby 
This is the Tom Sumner program. My uh, my guest this hour is um, an internationally recognized strategic thought leader and advisor to heads of government. The author of uh, uh, a uh, a new book. Well, no, I guess it's been out for a few months now. It's uh, called The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad: How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a divided nation and the world at large. I almost didn't make it through that title. Um, but uh, he's going to join me by <laughs> phone. Um, his name is, uh, now, there it is, Harlan Ullman. I want to make sure I got the, the last name right. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Harlan? That's correct. And, uh, Tom, I'm going to make my short, my title of my book by one word, by taking out looming. Massive attacks of disruption are now the existential threat uh, to a divided nation in the world at large for reasons we will go into. Okay. I don't know how I got that, uh, how, the, how that looming popped up in my notes, but, uh, but thanks for the correction. It is the title. It is the title. <clears throat> no, no, it's the title, and that's how I would, I would change it, given the fact that the situation is far more oh, dire I than when see. I finished writing the book. <clears throat> Well, there are a couple of different things that have come up uh, since the publication of your book, and I want to talk about at least one of those. Just recently, Congress, uh, I know because I've been watching, they're calling them hearings on uh, um, the events of January 6th, 2021. I'm more inclined to call it a presentation of facts that they gathered during their hearings, which were not televised the way these are. And they're leaning very much toward blaming Donald Trump for the activities that happened in and around the Capitol on January 6, 2021. And interesting that this all comes out at at about the same time that we acknowledge the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in, which led to, of course, impeachment hearings against Richard Nixon, ultimately his resignation, and then Gerald Ford's pardon of Richard Nixon. And you have, in the wake of this uh, presentation of of facts gathered at congressional hearings, um, raised the question, would um, Donald or would Joe Biden pardon Donald Trump if he were convicted of something the way that uh, Gerald Ford did? And and I want to get into that a little bit because it's a fascinating question sure. for a couple of reasons. One is, 
Gerald Ford and Richard Nixon were from the same party. Joe Biden and Donald Trump are not. And, and so I'll start with, uh, would that make a difference? No, but let me just step back for a second. Yeah, yeah, pick it up wherever you want. Hearing are an example of a massive attack of disruption. Some of the evidence that has been presented to me has been overwhelming, coming out of the mouths of Trump high appointees, such as the Attorney General and Deputy White House Counsel. So that's one factor. And, of course, the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs and Roe and on concealed carry uh, permission last week are other attacks of mass disruption, which are going to roil the country. And all these things, in essence, are a match being thrown on a pile of gasoline because the country is so divided. Now, it seems to me, if you take a look at the hearings, and I agree with you, there's a presentation, but I find the evidence so far overwhelming. And if you go to Title 18 of the U.S. Code on sedition, I think a very strong case can be made that Donald Trump committed sedition two ways. One, he disregarded the laws of the country and impeded them. And two, he tried to topple the government by changing the election. Now, we can debate that, but this raises two hugely serious issues. First, will Merrick Garland, the attorney general, uh, investigate this? And if so, will he indict Donald Trump? If he does indict Donald Trump, he has to be not only sure beyond a reasonable doubt, but to a level of certainty of 99.9% that a conviction will be made. And that's an enormously high standard. Now, if Trump is in fact indicted, this poses a huge problem for Joe Biden, because nobody wants to see a president in the docket, a president being tried, in this case, for sedition, which is an enormously serious crime, close to treason. And 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 many would argue that for that very... Many would argue, Harlan, that for that very reason, Gerald Ford gave up his second term to pardon Nixon to ensure that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, I think that we'll we'll get to Ford in a minute because he did a very courageous thing. And so now Joe Biden may say, look, there's a quid pro quo here. Either we delay or we don't indict. And Donald Trump will agree not to run for office again. And on those circumstances, I think Biden would have to consider uh, a pardon of some sort. Now, what will happen remains to be seen. The attorney general may choose not to indict, not to pursue this. But <laughs> we haven't seen an issue quite this serious, even, even more so than Watergate, was when Aaron Burr, the vice president, was tried and acquitted for treason when he tried to break away the southern part of the United States. So this is <laughs> deadly serious. As I said, you overlay this with the Roe v. Wade decision and the carry firearms decision, and now you have a situation in which these massive attacks of disruption are really roiling the country without any clear answer or solution which would be agreed upon by the majority of people. Now, Jerry Ford did the right thing. No doubt it cost him the election uh, against Jimmy Carter. And it's not going to cost Joe Biden the election if he were to pardon Trump, because I think the country is so divided. I think that would be seen as a wash. But make no mistake, this is as serious, I think, as in 1860 or 61 before the Civil War broke out. And that's the thesis of my book, where we're in trouble and what we can do about it, because the trajectory of the nation because of these massive attacks of disruption from failed and failing government to cyber to debt, all these things 
are really, really huge. I, and I want to talk about the Attorney General for a minute. I'm going to embarrass myself because I can never well, remember whether it's Merrick Garland or Garland Merrick. Merrick. Garland. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and I've been mixing that up, Harlan, since, you know, since he was waiting sure. to, to be confirmed by the Senate for the, the Supreme Court when Obama was president. Um, but yep. but Merrick Garland, um, because of that very Supreme Court nomination, I wonder if he might um, maybe suggest that he has a little bit of a conflict of interest where Trump is concerned and recuse himself the way Jeff Sessions did over the uh, Mueller report, or because around that, that time, anyway. The deputy attorney general, no, the, the, it, it's irrespective of who the attorney general is. The question is whether or not the Department of Justice is going to pursue this case. And if Garland would, then I think the deputy uh, attorney general will. So you can just drop the name. It's the position and the authority of the attorney general. And I think they'll have no choice but to investigate but what happens after that uh, is anybody's guess. And you think Congress is handing them over a pretty good case? I think they will, absolutely, absolutely. And the case is made by, first of all, Trump's most senior uh, law enforcement official, Bill Barr, the attorney, uh, the attorney general, who told Trump this was BS and this was nonsense, and by Deputy White House Counsel Eric uh, Honeman, who said, explicitly to John Eastman, who was one of the attorneys who were representing Trump, that this is clearly illegal and you damn better get the best defense attorney you can find because you're in trouble. Now, if the deputy White House counsel says that, this is really damning stuff. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to follow. Yeah, I haven't decided who was, excuse me, more fun to watch uh, interviewed, albeit on videotape, Hirschman or Barr. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they were both kind of fun to watch they were but what they said was really quite staggering quite staggering simply because not only what they said about the president the former president but their positions this is the deputy counsels of the president of the United States admitting that somebody broke the law in the White House this is you know I don't have a high regard for John Dean but this is what John Dean did well, and and do we have a John Dean in this particular case? I hope not, because I have no regard for John Dean. But I think no, but 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 John Dean's role, John Dean's role in uncovering some of the wrongdoing can't really be denied, Harlan. No, I absolutely agree with you. No, whether I, whether I, you I think much of him or not, yeah. and and what I'm asking is, there someone because yes. Donald Trump was so hands on yes. and ran so much of it himself, is there somebody with that stature that can do that kind of damage to Donald Trump? Uh, first of all, I think Bill Barr did, and second, I think uh, Pat Silopina, the uh, White House Counsel. Uh, would be ordered to testify, and under those circumstances, for a criminal case, uh, executive privilege does not apply. More with author and strategic thought leader, Dr. Harlan Ullman, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with author and strategic thought leader, Dr. Harlan Ullman, straight ahead. Do you think it's likely that charges will be filed and, and, um, and, and will Biden um, pardon Donald Trump? Hey, well, I, let me make a point. There will be a lot of pressure on him that. not to. Oh, absolutely. And there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on the Attorney General or the Department of Justice not to. No, as I said earlier, nobody wants to see a former president uh, going to, uh, to court for these very, very serious issues. On the other hand, uh, the law has to be applied to everyone. So, as I said, this could be one of the most uh, damaging decisions and divisive decision because the country is already divided 50-50. And no matter what Biden does, half of the people are going to complain bitterly, and the other half are going to say he did the right thing, no matter which decision he makes. And if you take a look at all the other things that are going on, as I said, Roe v. Wade, so forth and so on, uh, the fact that the economy is not doing well, the fact that gas prices and inflation are very, very high, people's 401ks are being murdered on the stock market, uh, these are really troubled times in America. And the degree of incivility, violence, crime, all these measures are really uh, waxing. And all this, to me, suggests you have a country for many, and a small match or a small spark could really form some kind of a political conflagration. I'm not suggesting the civil wars in 1861, but I am suggesting that these could be terribly unpleasant times. And make no mistake, no matter what happens, if Republicans take control of both houses, but certainly the House of Representatives next year, they are going to impeach Joe Biden. And it's going to be tit for tat, and we're going to go through all this again, barring some other sort of intervention. There's there's an element that you haven't mentioned yet, Harlan, and I'm, I'm sure you've noticed it and have acknowledged it elsewhere, and that is the bitterness of the two sides in absolutely in all political discussion and wrangling i mean there's there's this sense and and i always characterize it this way you either agree with me or you're a moron yep i agree with you and i said that this is the most bitter time in politics and as i said since 1860 or 1861 how will that um play out differently with the scenario we've been talking about with uh, Trump being charged and Biden pardoning Trump. How will it play out now any differently than than it did um, during the the Nixon, in the wake of the Nixon resignation? Well, first of all, you've got to understand during Nixon there was also the Vietnam War which greatly divided the country. Um, yeah. And so there was a huge amount of bitterness. There was also a huge amount of bitterness over racial issues. And it was clear that, um, that Richard Nixon violated the law. And, of course, you had a Republican Senate who told Nixon that if he were impeached, the Senate would convict. You had Barry Goldwater, leader of the conservative movement, saying, Mr. President, you don't have the votes. You will be convicted in the Senate by an overwhelming majority. Now, I would argue that no matter what happens to Trump, 
um, I don't think he would have an overwhelming majority in the Senate. The reasons that you just suggested, that party lines are such that the Republicans aren't going to give an itch, even if you had absolutely, absolutely irrefutable proof of any failing on the part of the president. That's the big difference today. Yeah, I can't see. I can't see Mitch McConnell playing the Barry Goldwater role in this. No, and even when McConnell called, he called Trump's actions despicable and derelict, and then voted to acquit him. I mean, the hypocrisy <laughs> on Capitol Hill—it's hard. It's hard to uh, underestimate. So that's what we're dealing with. And as I said. Uh, this country, and, and you take the economic situation of inflation, gas prices, so forth, uh, this country is in turmoil. And then you take the war in Ukraine, which could spread. Uh, as you may or may not know, Putin has threatened the use of nuclear weapons. He's now threatening Lithuania, a NATO member. NATO has its summit going on at the end of the month in Madrid. Uh, and that war is going to spill over because of the starvation due to the food crises that you're going to see uh, a migration crisis that makes what happened in 2007, 2008 seem trivial, and that's going to impact the United States because it's going to affect our southern border, exacerbating this current situation. So you've got all these massive attacks of disruption for which government and the public are not prepared. They are challenging our way of life, and they are challenging the Constitution. And unless we understand that and take some kind of action, I will make two predictions that I'm certain. One, the standard of living in the United States for future generations is going to decline possibly dramatically for most people. And second, the American dream is going to become increasingly elusive for most people. And that's not the America you and I knew or grew up in. No, that's true. And I'm uh, a little bit curious about um, what's happening uh, with regard to the political parties, I I have said in private conversations somewhat jokingly that, you know, the Republicans are raising all this fuss about um, voting and, and so many people are following Trump and the, and the big lie because the Democrats, they believe the Democrats rigged the election. And I've been saying they're just upset that they didn't rig it better. Um, <laughs> that, well, that the Republicans didn't really rig it better. But but let me ask this. George Will said, uh, you know, the, the largest political party in the country weren't the Republicans or the Democrats. It was the independents. Is that changing at all now um, as we watch uh, the pendulum go back and forth between uh, party leadership and, and presidential administrations? I think that membership of both political parties will decline. But the problem is that both political parties are being dominated by the extreme left and right wings, progressives and the Democratic side, and some of their plans are absolutely cuckoo, and ultra-conservatives on the right side, who are equally, I think, flawed. But the problem is independents do not have a constituency. They're in the middle. <clears throat> and, you know, somebody who takes the middle ground in a highway is going to become roadkill. And so who is, who is representing the center when you have both parties being represented largely by the extremes? You've got Ocasio-Cortez on one hand saying these things, and then you've got the Marjorie Taylor Greene on the other side saying these other things. But who is <laughs> representing the middle? And even, and even Liz Cheney, who is much more conservative than I am, um, she has become a profile in courage, standing up for what she believes is right. She may lose her seat. 
um, when she runs in Wyoming. But who, <laughs> who, who are the Americans in the center have to look towards? On top of that, you've got a geriatric, you have a geriatric leadership. <clears throat> if Trump runs against Biden, these guys are 80 years old. Nancy Pelosi is older than God. Um, <clears throat> similarly, in the, in the Senate, you know, Chuck Grassley is 89. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's not a good picture. Well, and and here's another thing, and, I, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. We've been watching this uh, uh, on my show. I do a weekly roundtable called Ameri- uh, Armchair Politics. And we've been watching locally uh, around the, the Flint area and around Michigan yeah. at um, the the changes in um, uh, drawing the uh, the district lines. What a lot of people yeah, incorrectly call gerrymandering, because that's a particular kind of drawing of the lines. But, yeah. but it has, for many years, been driven by whichever party was in power in the state legislature. Of course. And now we're trying this experiment of trying to be more neutral about it. But my, my question is, is this business of gerrymandering how we got? to a two-party system that manages from the extreme wings? Is it because of these these primaries? We talk about in Genesee County, for example, yeah. if, if you are of a certain party and you win your primary, that election is over. You're yeah. not, you're not right. going to get any competition in the general at all. And when the battle takes place during the primary, isn't that sort of set up for a fight within the party that the the uh, that the extremes are winning? Yes, but I will go into great detail, and I do in my book about how we got here. You asked the question. Yeah, I can give you three days of infamy, three dates of infamy. Uh, You know, Roosevelt FDR called Pearl Harbor Day of Infamy. I will give you three dates of infamy that tell you how we got here. The first is August 7th, 1964, when the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, with only two dissenting votes, passed the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution that got us into the Vietnam War over PT vote attacks by the North Vietnamese against two American destroyers that never took place. And beginning with the Vietnam War, when the government had a favorability figure of 75 or 80 percent, the vast majority of Americans trusted the U.S. government to do the right thing. Today, that number is reversed. So August 7th. The second was December 12, 2000, when the Supreme Court, by a 5-4 party vote, made George W. Bush the president based on four 532 electoral votes in Florida. That increased and legitimized um, the political system. And then finally, January 6th, and then the subsequent Supreme Court hearings, where the Supreme Court has now been delegitimized. America's view and evaluation of virtually every institution has now become very, very negative. There's no trust and confidence, and that has spilled over in how Americans see other Americans, and it's manifested in road rage and fistfights on airplanes, which, when I was growing up, you know, sometimes you wore a coat and tie on an airplane, but that never happened. And so you have an American public that has turned against its government because it has found its government and institutions untrustworthy. 
Well, so yeah, it's, it's lo- lost trust screen. in elected and appointed officials. It's lost trust in all kinds of institutions. There's there's even well, this whole lack of... The, yeah, there's distrust in the media. There's distrust in science. Clergy. I mean, you take a look at all of this. Big business. And so when you have a situation like that being fueled by the extremes of both parties... Um, that takes you back to the most trenchant line in the Declaration of Independence, which reads, when government becomes destructive, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and establish a new one. And some can argue that's what Donald Trump tried to do on January 6th. But to whose benefit? His. And to the detriment of the country. You know, in, in, in 2000... Al See, that's Gore the problem. You, you know, the document you're quoting presupposes that the government is overthrown for the good of the people. <laughs> Absolutely. And and that, and, and and that is I mean, not... You laugh, but that's the absolute case. This is for the individual. And so you have power uh, proceeding <clears throat> and dominating principle and good governance. And that's why I argue in my book, The Fifth Horseman, the most dangerous massive attack of disruption is the federal government and a a government that is that is just not working it's a failure it's failed or failing and you can see that because look there are only two things that the congress agrees upon the degree of the threat of china which i think we've exaggerated by a huge amount and the fact they passed some gun legislation which in reality may help mental health but it's not going to have any impact on gun violence or anything else. And if that's the best that Congress can do, and it's being applauded by many because they say it's better than nothing, that's how serious trouble we're in. And if you apply that to bigger issues like the economy, like the debt, like the budget, like good governance, you know, we don't seem to have any sort of agreement and consensus. And when that happens, the system of checks and balances as we have under the Constitution simply doesn't work. Well, and, and the same thing, I'm, I'm concerned about the same thing. Um, do you think um, that, that Donald Trump will be charged with something, and would that impact his run again in uh, 24? Well, that's why I said if, if Biden is going to give him a pardon or whatever, not indict him, the quid pro quo, well, Trump says, I will not run. And then are you going to believe it? If you're Biden, I mean these are really perilous times. I don't want they no, they really they really are Harlan, and that that brings me uh, well one or two more quick things, and then I want to see what your thoughts are on how we, you know how how we try and put yeah. the toothpaste back in the tube. But one is, do you think that the uh, that that Congress and the Attorney General's office, the White House, will they hold off? on any charges, um, in any attack on Donald Trump until after the midterm elections? That's a really good question, and I don't think so. When the hearings conclude, there's going to be huge pressure to do something, either charge the president or not. And will that affect the midterms at this stage? Look, at this stage, if gasoline prices are $5 a gallon and inflation is 10%, you know how that's going to turn out. Yeah, Democrats are going to have a dollar, bad time. They're going to have a very bad time, of course. But supposing something else happens 
and gasoline goes down to two fifty or three dollars, and inflation goes down to six or seven percent, you know Biden will take great credit, and then you overlay that with the the treatise, the treatise of what's going to happen over Roe v. Wade and how the protests are going to go, and also over concealed carry, um, because the Supreme Court unknowingly has now raised unanswerable problems for the states and for individuals. For example, concealed carry. Does that mean I can carry a weapon on a subway, to a baseball game, to a church, or on an airplane? Nobody has made those decisions yet. They're uncertain. And if I'm a woman in a state where abortion is prohibited and I go to a state where it is, can I be held liable in my own state because the way some laws are written, that an abortion period is, is, is illegal, even no matter where you get it. And nobody has been able to come up with any kind of ruling about where this stops and where this ends. And to say that, you know, we're going to leave it to the states and we're going to leave it to uh, the public, the people, is nonsensical because the people are not agreed on all this. I mean, what happens, for example, and this may sound preposterous, if state A, which is a red state, becomes a blue state and it reverses the bans on abortion or vice versa. So we are dealing in areas of unsettled law, unsettled politics, overlaid by what looks like an economic crisis over inflation and gas prices, with a public that's becoming increasingly, increasingly angry, and you said bitter, at a time when Russia and China are not unrelenting in their policies to take on the United States. This is pretty serious stuff, and I'm afraid that Republicans and Democrats and both administrations uh, in the past have not been able to deal with this. And I'm not very confident that the Biden administration or if Republicans win, they'll be any more qualified to deal with it. This is serious stuff that requires serious people and a government that's functioning. To make one more point, most people support the U.S. military. But the irony is the more money we spend on defense, the smaller the force gets. In 1962, we spent in current dollars about $500 billion on defense. We had a force of about 3 million people. Today, we're going to spend over $800 billion in defense, and we have less than 1.3 million. And the force is getting smaller in numbers and in, team, in terms of platforms. But how many uh, private contractors? How many private contractors did we have when we had 3 million in the military? Lots. But they've all consolidated, and I'm not blaming the I'm not blaming the private sector. But I would, as I say in the book, we have a flawed strategy, which is meant to contain and deter China and Russia. And if you can tell me how we contain and deter China and Russia, I will buy you the best meal you can find in Michigan. You have it. <laughs> so you need a new strategy, and you need it, and you need a strategy that realizes the all volunteer force no longer works. For a number of reasons, it's the all-recruited force. The benefits that people are getting are astronomical. I think the average cost per head in the Department of Defense, civilian and military, is about $350,000. That's Goldman Sachs levels of remuneration. And so we have all these other problems that are taking place, and nobody is of a mind to be able to fix or address them. And so the book in the last three chapters goes into a large number of recommendations that we need from a real infrastructure investment bank that's patterned after what happened following the 1918-1920 Spanish flu when the United States embarked on the greatest 
economic boom in its history to specific ideas about how we actually fix the organization of government, both ends of Capitol, on Capitol Hill and the White House. For example, we have a Department of Education. The issue is in education. You know, I've got five degrees or something. Does that mean I know anything? This is about learning. And so there are simple common sense steps we need to take to put America back uh, on the right track. And if we don't, as I said, I fear the best outcome is a diminution in standard of living and the inability to pursue the American dream. And it could be a lot worse. <laughs> I remember saying to somebody recently that uh, PhDs aren't what they used to be. Well, you're actually right. <laughs> what did you learn? You've got a huge degree. And tell me what you've learned. Uh, and it's, this is basic. I grew up, I was born before World War II. And when I went to grade school, my teachers are the women who had been teaching for 25 years and brook no nonsense. <clears throat> and there was no issue of corporal punishment. Parents didn't come in and complain because you beat little Johnny. But all the male teachers had been in World War II and through the GI Bill got their education. Those are the best teachers I ever had, including when I was at graduate school at Fletcher and Harvey. We're not repeating that situation today, unfortunately. So I'm not complaining that these are not the old times that they should be, but we have huge social, cultural, uh, political, and economic problems here. And the leadership elected and appointed are not really living up to their duty to do what must be done to preserve the United States, to protect its security, safety, and its prosperity. More with author and strategic thought leader, Dr. Harlan. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, Superman! Transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. The Tom Summer Program.com 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop attorney generaling. We got a concert to get to. I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author and strategic thought leader, Dr. Harlan Ullman, straight ahead. And, and if, if there were three things that we could do right away. You'll love this. You'll love this. Okay. Okay. First, all Americans who are qualified have to vote. They've got to show up. I'm with you. Instead of having 50 or 60 percent, everybody. And if you show up and you don't want to vote for somebody, then vote for nobody. But you've got to show up. This gets the, the center engaged. It's going to get people engaged in politics. That's number one. Number two, I can fix Congress overnight with one law. Like Sarbanes-Oxley, that requires um, chief executive officers of public companies to certify every document is accurate. Before a member of Congress votes on a bill, they have to say, that they have read and understood it. I hope you're smiling. I, I am smiling. Every member of Congress is say, that's impossible. These bills are 3,000 pages long. Well, I, and I, how do you expect me to read them? And the reason that I'm smiling I is say, because you, I, I remember talking to uh, the congressman from this area um, in the wake of the uh, passage of um, Obamacare, and he said he read it. <laughs> and and that's Probably what made me sm- that's what made me smile i you know i he was of a course. former former school teacher so he might have read it but um Nobody but does. I, i'd be and surprised say, if he didn't break it up into sections and and have his staff read bits and pieces of it and you know but that hold. doesn't work because you get a bill at eight o'clock at night and you got a vote on it at eight o'clock in the morning and people say well these are really complicated Nonsense. In 1973, when Don Rumsfeld was Secretary of Defense the first time, the Defense Authorization Bill was 93 pages. We were fighting a war in Vietnam with 200,000 troops engaged. Well, the Constitution's only about 60, isn't it? Of course. Of course. And so if if we can't get these bills down to size, you're never going to get Congress to be able to work. So I think if you mandate that, that's going to be mandating discipline. I also go into how you have to reorganize Congress for the 21st century. There are too many committees, subcommittees, and as I said, it's still designed as if it's was 1789 and not 2022. And there are large other things in terms of changing our national security um, that focuses on real common sense solutions. But you asked me, and so mandatory voting, universal voting, and making sure members of Congress read any bill before they vote on it, those are two steps and I go into about 30 or 40 other recommendations that I think are just as important, which I think can be done. And I don't think that um, they're going to require changes in law, anything else. They're going to require some degree of confidence and civility, and that's where things are breaking down. And the events that I just described, these massive attacks of disruption, whether the war in Ukraine or whether Roe v. Wade decisions, or as we're talking about Trump's conduct on January 6th, are just dividing the country, and they're throwing a match in a pool of high-octane gasoline. Well, my guest is uh, Dr. Harlan Ullman, and um, the book 
is, uh, and I'm going to do the short version of the title, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad. Um, Harlan, I feel like we're we're just getting started, but we're a little over the time I had uh, asked you to to spend with me, and I appreciate you doing that. Um, But I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a good place, but do you have a website where people might learn more about you and your work, past, present, and future? Yeah, the best thing to do is just go to Amazon uh, and look under the Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption are the existential danger. And that goes into my background. I spent a long time in the Navy. I fought in Vietnam. Um, I taught at the National War College. Owen Powell was one of my students when I was still a young officer. And I have advised heads of states, heads of government, and the most senior people in a number of countries uh, here in Asia. So uh, my background is broad. But I think in this particular book, which I find of the 10 I've written, this is the most important because we've got to understand the dangers that we face in the the comprehensive sense and the fact that there are solutions. I'm not pessimistic about the solutions. I'm pessimistic that the American public will not recognize the danger we're in and act quickly enough. That's my message, and I hope readers will go to Amazon and the Fifth Horseman, take a look, agree or disagree, but at least debate what we've discussed here. Well, Harlan, it's been an honor and a privilege, and I hope we get to do it uh, again sometime in the in the meantime. I hope so. I, I had a really it was a good interview, and I would like to come back. Well, let's let's try and make that happen. Uh, in the meantime, keep up the good work, and thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. All right, take care. Once again, that was uh, Doctor Harlan Ullman. Uh, internationally recognized strategic thought leader and author of uh, the book The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Existential Danger to a Divided Nation in the World at Large. And we'll have uh, more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
just won the war A crowd of people turned away But I just had to look Having read the book I love to turn Across my head Mine were stairs and I had a cup Looking up I noticed I was late Grab my coat Grab my hat Made the books and seconds flat Behind my were stairs And I had a smoke Somebody spoke and I went Into a dream
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 